everyone, and welcome to Be The Leader You Deserve podcast, where my mission is to inspire you to ask yourself, are you the leader you deserve? Hi, I'm Jill Handley, and I am so excited to be here with you today. This is Season 7, Episode 19, Leading With Instructional Rounds. Nikki Wilson, Principal of Monroe Elementary School in Wyandotte, Michigan. Monroe Elementary was named a nationally recognized model PLC school by Solution Tree in 2018. Now, Vicki is very busy because she's also a consultant and an associate for Solution Tree and is the author of Lead with Instructional Rounds. So welcome, Vicki. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hi, Jill. I'm so excited to be here, too. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, I was so excited because at the recent NAESP conference that was held here in Louisville, Kentucky, I was able to attend one of Vicki's sessions. And after I listened to her, I was like, okay, she has to be a guest on because she shares so much valuable knowledge. So as we get started, Vicki, I know I've given a little bit of information about you, but why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and the school that you lead? Absolutely. So I am starting a milestone year as an educator. It's my 30th year which Ooh. is kind of exciting. And the first 14 were, was as a teacher at the elementary level. Um, after 14 years of teaching, I became a principal at the school that I had been teaching at for three years. And two years after being a principal there, we, due to decline, declining enrollment, had to close that school and merge it with another school in Wyandotte, and that was Monroe Ooh. Elementary, where I'm at today. So that happened back in 2009, which was a big challenge for a very new principal. Gosh, I bet. Yeah. So, um, wow, that is a, how many years had you been the principal when that happened? Just two. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So that, that took a lot of courage, I'm sure. And I'm sure that you learned a lot along the way uh, with, with doing that. So now is Monroe, is it a K-5? Is it a K-3? A P- it is a pre-K. So we have a young fives section uh-huh. there through fifth grade. Okay. Okay. Um, and then how many students do you have? We have close to 400 this year, which is bigger than I've had the last few years. I'm excited about that. <laughs> Well, first of all, let me congratulate you on year 30. Um, You know, some people who are early in their career are probably wondering if they're going to make it to year 20. So the fact that you are thriving still in year 30 um, is certainly to be commended. So congratulations for that. Um, Over your time, Vicki, you've had so much to be proud of. Uh, But And I would definitely say, uh, you know, closing one school and merging it to another has to be one of those things. But if I ask you to narrow it down to one thing that you feel over your tenure as a school leader that you have been the most proud of, what would you say that one thing is? You know, I'm going to say that more, it's an experience of different things that we've gone through, The, the school merger, becoming a a model PLC school, initiating instructional rounds at our school, I would couple all of that together and say I'm most proud of leading a a school that values adult learning as much as student learning and recognizing the correlation that has for each other. I love that. Um, And I know that you talked about that a bit in your session um, that I attended. And so sometimes I think that 
as, as leaders, particularly new leaders, we're so focused on the student learning, which don't get me wrong, is, is you know, what we're, we're getting to. But in order to get there, we have to focus on that adult learning. And I know that your book, uh, Lead with Instructional Rounds, really kind of talks a lot about that. So can you talk to us a little bit about um, your book, uh, what we would find in it, and kind of how that came about, and then how you are still a practitioner implementing those things from the book? Yes, definitely. So in Lead with Instructional Rounds, it it flips the script from um, some of the some work that's out there on instructional rounds that's a deficit model and puts it to a strength-based focus. And in doing that, we really learn to validate the strengths every individual teacher is bringing to the classroom and applying that to what best practices and then having dialogue after observing that in the classroom with other teachers about that particular practice, um, why it's a strong practice, and the impact that's having on student learning. It came about um, a few years. We started about three years after we had that school merger, and I was in a place as learn. I was a learning principal, um, learning about going in classrooms and seeing all these great strong practices that every teacher brought to the table and thinking of myself as a fly on the wall and how, how I'd love to get teachers in to see each other. And because we were in this merger and it was hard and we were merging two very different schools together, um, this school was really disjointed for a few years and it was like two sides. So I had to figure out a way to do it and bring each other into classrooms that was very positive, that highlighted the strengths that we all bring to our classrooms and to the table and honored it. And what happened is teachers started to see each other from both sides of the wall through the strengths that they were offering. And it really helped to bring that very disjointed school together and start to function and appreciate each other as one. It, it changed our culture. And, you know, you mentioned a good point there because that is one of the best parts of our job is that we get to see the greatness in everyone. I know if, <laughs> you're probably like me when right. I go in there, I just think, and, I, and I'm always thinking like, oh, how can I get everyone to see this greatness? Because typically teachers are so humble and that's what I found. They don't always see the greatness in themselves. So looking for a protocol to really heighten the awareness of the greatness, you know, that's one good for culture, um, but two, at the same time, just also empowering these teachers to become leaders. So what's our first step in getting started with that, Vicki? Um, I would suggest, so I would suggest if a principal wants to do this, getting a leadership team together and learning about the process. Um, the book Lead with Instructional Rounds is a great way, to, a great place to start. There's a playbook right in the middle of it that um, walks you through what to do, what it looks like, what it sounds like. Um, I share in there the playbook we use at my school for the implementation. And then once you get that leadership group together, start to talk about it and spread the word. Those, those teacher leaders in that group will be great at, at building that enthusiasm around the school. And, um, and then volunteers who's willing to open their classroom to be a host to come in just and be something that you're doing. And then we step outside of the classroom 
dialogue about it for five minutes. Identify a good person in the school to be the facilitator. It could be the leader. It could be the principal. It could be a coach. It could be just a, um, a teacher leader that is very well versed on best instructional practices. Um, and let it grow from there. It's very grassroots through your own school. You're not bringing in a leadership team to come and do this work for you. You're, you're growing it with the people that you have. Yeah, and one of the things, Vicki, that I want to ask about because um, questions that sometimes I get when I'm mentoring new principals is because once it gets up and running, it can be such like a game changer, obviously, for your culture as far as empowering your teachers. But sometimes at first, if you are not careful, it can have that opposite effect uh, of, of who are we going to visit and, you know, oh, do, are we think, how do we avoid that opposite effect of, oh, well, Miss so-and-so, you know, she thinks she's great because we got to go see her. That kind of a thing to where teachers uh, see it as a benefit for them and not that you're, quote, unquote, picking favorites to go see. How, how do you set that up? Because I think there is a fine line and it can go quickly either way if you're not careful with that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's really important that you start with creating some agreements that the team or norms that your your school has around this work. Um, some of our norms include, or I would say probably the most important norm is that we will only talk positives. Happen and, and we all make mistakes. We we have imperfect children in our school. <laughs> we as adults are imperfect people, and um, and that's part of what makes us beautiful. So when those things happen, that, that's not what we focused in on, but we were in there just to see that, that moment of greatness that happened that's attached to a best practice. So we can go out and talk about it and those that are observing can reflect on it and how they wanna bring this work back to their own classroom or this particular practice. So that is like a hard, strong rule that we will only talk about the positives. Um, and we set it up with a premium before we even go in. This is who we'll be visiting today. Um, here is the schedule. We go through those norms. And that pre-meeting is really important because that puts that safety net in and reminds everybody that this is the purpose of what we're doing and this is how we do it. Um, I also... Let me think. I, I'm sorry. I lost my train, train no, of thought okay. on that. No, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, I'm going to end it right there. So, so really that, okay. that positive piece of it. Oh, no, I do remember. Thank you. Yeah, I yeah, do yeah. remember. Um, the volunteer is so important. Like if a teacher wants to, they're volunteering to do this. They're not being asked or assigned by the leader. So, yeah, I'm ready to be a host. I volunteer to do it. That's the most critical piece. That's that that is um, that's that's a real important step that I think that, you know, and that's tricky, too. So do you ever go about because you get to see all the greatness? How do you approach someone who who may you know, they have so much humility that they'll never volunteer, but you really <laughs> want everybody to get into their room? How do you go right. about approaching that teacher? And that happens all the time, you know, because it people, you have to be vulnerable to open up your classroom to others right. and not everybody's ready for that. So you have somebody that's ready for it and has something wonderful to share, I bring that out usually in a conversation after a teaching observation. So we're one-on-one -on -one and we're, you know, I'm coaching and talking about what went well in the lesson and then we're talking about some next 
steps. And if when I've seen something great, I'll often ask, you know, what you're doing here is so powerful. How might you share that with your colleagues? And usually in that question, instructional rounds will come up. And they said, well, I can open up my room and do instructional rounds. I'm like, that would be so wonderful. Do you feel ready for that? Um, so it's that one-on-one -on -one conversation. It's okay to invite. I never force. I don't. It's okay to invite one-on-one -on -one, um, when you know that they're ready. I never assign it, and I never force anybody to do it. It took about, I would say, it took about three years before I had all teachers had finally participated in one way or another or opened their classroom. Thank you for sharing that timeline because I think, you know, for people who are just getting started with this, wondering, you know, do, how, what's, what's a reasonable timeline to expect for that. So thank you for sharing that. You know, something else that, that, that really um, stuck out to me at the session I attended with you is that anchoring it to the desk of the student. <laughs> um, in the sense that, you know, we've all gone in and you see a teacher who there are great practices, but at the end of the day, if it's not impacting student achievement, <laughs> it, right. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but I think so often teachers get ingrained in just looking at what the teacher is doing. Um, and in, that's a great instructional strategy. But again, if it doesn't translate to the desk of the student, then it's it may look great, but let's let's dig deeper with that. And I think that, you know, I can even say in my own leadership, those are some things that I've not always anchored it to the desk of the student. Sometimes we look at just the conversation it's creating or, you know, it looks great when you go in. But if it looks great, yet the students aren't getting something out of it or able to apply what the teacher did as a great thing, then it's not a great thing. So I, that was a real great takeaway that I had from your session was making sure that we're anchoring it to the desks of the students. Absolutely. And that's, that's really the skill of the facilitator is as that conversation's happening is now what is the impact this is having on student learning? What did you notice? And our teachers will go in and they'll, if it's appropriate, not like a direct instruction, they'll talk to the kids about what are you learning and why is it important? And so we're trying to dig in deeper in that learning part. Absolutely. So clearly, Vicki, in 30 years, you've you've learned a lot. Uh, you've mentored a lot. You've you've taught a lot to, to other people. Um, but we know that, you know, things don't always go great the first time out of the gate. So in, in <laughs> fact, you know, some of our greatest accomplishments started as some really great failures. So when you reflect on all the things that you've learned as a leader um, or some of the things that really come up in focus when you're working um, in your consulting work, uh, what are two or three things that you feel are some of the most impactful things that you've learned or that you lead about uh, to share with other listeners that you think will best support them as fellow leaders? Uh, definitely. So I think probably one of the most important pieces I've learned in this career is that leaders need to be change leaders. And, and that, that takes a lot of bravery. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of vulnerability. But when we when we are in that role of it being a change leader, education becomes transformed and education needs to constantly be transforming. So advice I would have then would be that as leaders, we need to learn about change leadership, process of change, the psychology behind humans as they are going through change and what is first order change, what is second order change and how we behave differently in each of those. 
um, in the simple answer to that second order change is mindset change. Mm -hmm. And it's so, that's where it gets really challenging. And, and you know, just some of the psychology. And do you have, is there, is there a particular resource that you would um, kind of guide people towards if they're getting started about learning about change leadership? There is a change matrix. Um, and I don't recall the name. There's a, even if you Googled a change matrix, mm -hmm. um, and it'll, it'll go through like, you know, in change you need to um, have vision, you need to have um, expectations. It gives you all the things you need to make sure place for change. Mm -hmm. And then what happens if you take one out? For example, if vision is missing, then you'll have confusion. Um, mm -hmm. If resources are missing, then you'll have um, something else. If, if you don't have a clear plan, you're gonna have false starts. So I apologize, I don't have the name on the top of my no, head, but no, if no, you Google good. change matrix, it's, it's just a graphic. And looking at it and reflecting on it for, for a little bit of time will teach you so much. Yeah, no, that's, that's exciting. Like I'm, I always make notes, like, what am I going to do as soon as this conversation is over? So that's definitely something that I'm going to look into myself. So thank you for that. So, so yeah, if, if you're like me, um, all the things that you learned in leadership prep, you barely remember because they really didn't adequately prepare you for the real job. Not that any, 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 I think college class could, but when you think back and you think about all the things that you feel are so important to being a good school leader, what are one or two things that if you could go back and add those into your principal prep, what are the, one of those two things that you would add? Okay. So I have to piggyback off the last question definitely how to lead change. And mm -hmm. I would say I was, you know, in the middle of that merge and that was leading major change. And I had no idea what I was doing then. I didn't <laughs> have any change theory or philosophy of change. And, um, and I learned a lot by just walking through it, but I didn't know what I was doing. I right. wish I had that. Um, so I, you know, just mindset change and how to lead change. I'd love for them to give leaders these change matrices and things like that. The other thing that I think would be great for principals, leaders, is to learn about how to think with a systems lens. And when you get into that role of leadership, you've got so much day-to-day -day stuff going on, but really, you know, our, our biggest job is to create systems in our school and to think with a systems lens so that whether we're there or not, um, the, the right work is happening because it's built into our system. Oh, Vicki, you are speaking my language. Yes, I, I, I so wholeheartedly agree with that systems thinking lens because that was not something that I was taught, nor did I have, you know, when I first became a principal. And I think about, you know, I tried to push forward all the th great things I knew as a teacher and all the things, great things I knew as an instructional coach. And then when I became the principal, you know, and, and they were really making change happen when I was a teacher and instructional coach. And then I was just so perplexed when I became the principal, why those things were no longer working? Well, because <laughs> that's not my job anymore. And, yeah. and you know, and the, and the systems thinking wasn't something that was taught at all. It was more of a learned on the job of that. Okay, 
what's our system for this? What's our system for this? And then, so that's like step one. And then the other piece is, and how do they interconnect so that it doesn't feel like you have siloed systems? So you are speaking my language with, yes, successful leadership has to have systems thinking. So how did you go about um, coming into understanding? I've shared a little bit about my journey of, it was on the job thinking. Um, I can tell you that for me, unfortunately six we got to get assistant principal so that left me to wonder so what do you do with an assistant principal but fortunately for me my assistant principal <laughs> at that time um, was had been an assistant principal at middle school and so she had brought to me and she showed me um the medford systems analysis i'd never seen that before and it really it was probably it was in year six of, you know, so I look back, I'm like, first five years, fail, fail, fail. I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> uh, you know, but year six, it was almost like that's when the light bulb came off is when I started to think about, hmm, systems thinking. And then from that point forward, that's the lens that I approach everything with. So talk to us a little bit about your journey with systems thinking and how you started and, you know, any tips that you have for leaders who may already be doing that, how to refine that, or leaders who are sitting here listening saying, what are you talking about systems thinking? Yeah, I wish I had a clear moment that I can, I was probably <laughs> like you, where it, 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 the pieces start, started to come together. Um, certainly with instructional rounds, it's a system that we use to keep professional growth and learning alive and ongoing in our school. And then you think of um, professional learning communities. It is a system of, making sure all of our students are learning at high levels and there's processes built into it. You've got to have that constant collaborative time prepared for your teachers and um, missions and visions in place. Um, and then MTSS then becomes a system, but it ties into, into your professional learning community system because it's, it's answering, what do you do when students didn't learn it? And that's where we go into um, making sure there's systems and tiered levels of support to get them to those levels of learning. So it all, I guess through the journey, I can't pinpoint a moment, but now that, now that I realize that my job is to ensure systems are in place is I start to figure out how these systems now put, are working together. Like you said, we don't want it to feel like another thing on the plate, but if you tie, like for instance, the MTSS and the professional learning communities, perfect because MTSS is I'm not adding something, but this is simplifying. What do you do when students don't learn? Which is part of that bigger professional learning community system. Absolutely, um, yes. So that, and you know, I learned. No, no, no. That's okay. I guess I just had that this big aha. Like, I believe, and maybe this is me, like getting to this milestone here of thirty years. <laughs> Um, I believe a leader's legacy is to create effective systems in schools to support the learning of all your students and all the adults. Yes, yeah, so that they can continue when you're gone. I agree with yeah. that. Uh, and you know, something you said, I, I say all the time, especially when I'm mentoring newer principals, I say, you know, I can tell it was about year six when two things happened. 
And, and I think that they were kind of almost simultaneous systems thinking kind of entered my brain and, 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 you know, and then it was about that time that I, you know, I recognized what my job as the principal really was because I don't think people really prepare you for what the job really is. And I don't mean the day to day. I just mean it because you said it, our job is to kind of be the visionary to oversee the systems yes. and ensure that they are running successfully. And unfortunately with that, that means we have to give up some of the stuff that we loved so much, right? Like I remember mm -hmm. thinking that I'm the instructional leader, but I'm no longer the instructional coach. So it, and, and so it did that. And then the third thing it did was it, at the same time, it really helped me start to have that distributive leadership model too, because year one through five, I think I was burning out trying to do everything myself. So it was like all those things started happening simultaneously. I'm, I'm understanding systems thinking, I'm, I'm understanding what my job is, and I'm understanding the power of distributive leadership that once you start to have these systems and you, to your point, strength-based, find the strengths of your staff and start to empower them to lead these systems, then it feels like you're really starting to get traction as a school. Absolutely. I agree. And it took me a long time to figure that out too. And you asked earlier about um, our failures and the failures I've noticed I've made in my career are those moments where I'm trying to help by taking things off of people's plates. And um, that isn't always the right answer. If it's something unnecessary, absolutely take it off the plate. But trying to do it for them sometimes yes. disempowered them and yes. that it is definitely a mistake I've made in my journey that I'm much more aware of now like I don't I want to help I want to support but I don't want to disempower my people by doing it for them well and I think your point earlier too is that once we, you know, understand systems, then to your point of understanding, um, you know, change leadership, because clearly as we move along, you know, change is something that's inevitable, right? The only thing that's constant mm -hmm. is change, right? But understanding right. the ways to approach that as a leader and the components that need to be there. And then when things don't go well or what you can anticipate or, you know, the resistance you might face and why that is. So the theory behind that, I think, is something that is also such a critical piece. And so I'm excited to dig a little bit deeper into that myself. So, Vicki, when you think about all the things that you've implemented, and we've had such a great conversation so far, yes. what, do you, what do you consider to be one of the toughest challenges that you've faced as a leader? And then how did you go about overcoming that? Yeah, I got a tough one to share with you, actually. Um, the last three years have been tough, really tough for everybody. Um, COVID has not been my toughest, though, of the last three years. Right before COVID hit, we had a, um, a really um, tragic thing happened in our school community and um, a parent that had been a volunteer at our school was charged with criminal sexual conduct oh. um, with his daughter and a friend who was another student in his home. Oh. And it was an awful, awful thing. Like our community was so hurt and so so scared um, what happened in that, which, which brings me to the hardest thing I've gone through is you know, that anger, that fear, that panic in the community um, can, can lead to feeling a need to blame mm, yes. or take control of something that they, they can't 
take control of. And the media just went crazy with it as well um, in an awful way towards the school leaders, the district leader, the school leader, myself, oh. um, my boss. Um, and there was um, just a lot of um, let's get rid of them. Let's get rid of there were um, petitions out for my resignation and just oh, awful gosh. school board meetings, which led to an investigation if I had my job properly, if I had taken appropriate precautions. Um, and it was awful and it was hard. And um, I still stand strong. And the result of the investigation was really important because it did show that all protocols were followed, school board policy was followed, um, that I had actually been proactive in every step. So, that, but it doesn't just go away because this beautiful investigation report comes out. Right, it's, right. It's, it's something that, um, you know, I still struggle with. Um, how did I overcome it? Still working on that. But I did, um, I did end up writing a blog probably about four months after it all happened. And that blog just helped me kind of go through the lessons um, that as a human I learned from, from that awful experience. And um, I looked back on that blog before I um, jumped on the phone with you. And, and really the lessons I learned were about um, empathy. I had to really understand that what happened, the anger and the awful things that were said were a result of the fear and the panic that people had because they love their children so much. Yes. Um, I learned a lot about strength and, and when you can't, when you feel like crumbling, you just have to stand there as a leader. And for part of it, I would say I had to fake it till I made it. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually as you're faking it till you're making and standing and you want to crumble inside, like you get a little bit stronger each day and are standing finally again on your own. Um, I learned to gather my allies. I learned to know who my allies were and to gather them around because that's, that's just an awful thing for a person to go through and you need, you need people supporting you. And so that part was um, Wow, Vicki, that, that is such a tragic event, you know, obviously for the children involved and for your community. But yeah, that's, that's a tough one. I can't imagine trying to come back from that. Um, and I think it sheds light on something that we see as school leaders oftentimes, and, you know, not always as horrific as the situation of which you've described, but in the sense of why is it that the school is taking so much blame for everything, right? And it feels right. it, it, it often feels like that, that when things go awry in society, people want to point fingers at schools, which means the school leader takes the, the, the brunt of that. Um, and to your point, so requiring us to navigate through um, rewriting the narrative of our school right because to your point so we have this great report that kind of you know says everything was on the up and up and you did everything above and beyond you were supposed to do 
but it's almost like your name is out there tarnished. So how do you kind of polish that back up? And so what's the, what's the name of the blog? Cause I think our listeners would really love to be able to kind of dig into that because even if they have a situation that is not identical to yours, some of those things that you learned as a result of coming out on the other side, I think people could apply to tough situations across the board. So what's the name of that blog? Um, it is called Warrior Leadership, and it's on my website, which is vickiwilson.org. Okay. okay. And, and yes, it will, it'll apply to any crisis that you're going through in leadership. That's another thing we can add to the list <laughs> of what leaders need to learn <laughs> before they become one. It's how to, how to struggle through a big crisis like that. Yeah, and you know, that definitely is a situation of... You don't know how tough you are until you, you know, kind of walk through the fire, to be honest with you. And But to your point, mm-hmm. you come out on the other side and, and it does kind of empower you to think like, okay, that didn't break me. So, so I'm stronger as a result of it. And I know that I can not handle anything, but it, it kind of does kind of make you feel like, okay. Um, you know, what's next? Because I think we know, you know, hopefully you, you and your community will never have to experience something like that. But to say that that's your last challenge would be a lie. We all know that. So, you know, learning to apply those strategies that, that you, you gained as a result of going through something tough is, is always helpful. And I think, you know, sometimes we all, think that it's always rosier for everyone else, right? So when, so I'm not saying that, you know, that whole adage of misery loves company, it's not that, but I think there is comfort in knowing that we're all facing challenges. And so when someone is brave like yourself to not only share the challenge that you experienced, but then kind of what you learned along and how you're going to apply that going forward, I'm so thankful for that. And I know that the listeners will be as well because, um, you know, we're always looking, we can never be fully prepared for any crises, right? But equipping yourself with some of those capacities that you mentioned, such as empathy um, and understanding, you know, the root cause of the reaction from others, I think is a big one to take away from that. So Vicki, yes, that probably, definitely. that probably definitely had to just about break you. Um, you know, this job's hard enough when, when it's not something like that. And so one way that we have to almost protect our peace or, or make sure that we still have enough to pour into others is by trying to set boundaries. And I know as leaders, that's something that we usually all are not so good at. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when you think about your leadership and how, you know, you're trying to balance all the, you know, you're a principal, you know, you're you're a consultant, you're an author, you know, you're doing all these things. Um, how do you continue to be at your maximum capacity for all those and your family and yourself um, without burning out? What, what kind of things do you put in place to ensure that you stay somewhat balanced? Uh, yeah, that one's a hard one. And I do wish I were better at that. Um, and, and yeah, family is so important. So I am also a mom. I've got three wonderful kids and a great husband. So um, I've got to make sure I, I invest my time into that too. So um, I've got to, you're right, set boundaries at work. And I do not do this great, but I do have a couple small, easy ideas that I can share that does help. One thing I'm learning and trying to do better at is to schedule emails. And, and I do that really to model for my teachers to like, I don't want them to necessarily get an email that I sent Saturday at 9 p.m. <laughs> um, so, 
sometimes I hit send and I'm like, oh, darn it, I should have scheduled that. But I try to schedule it so it's going to land in their inbox Monday at 7 instead. Um, so that's that's one. Scheduling email emails, I think, is great for leaders to do so they're, they're not making those that they're leading feel like they should always be on too. Mm -hmm. I should also probably have not been emailing at night on Saturday. So that's the <laughs> next thing I got to work on. Uh, um, I do keep, I think it's important to learn how to say no. And I actually have a little script by my phone in my office at work of just examples of ways that I read in an article one time, just ways to say no. Um, one of, for example, one of them is, I wish I could say yes, but I have to say no. Um, so I, I just that. have that by my phone because how many times are we on a phone with a parent? You know, you have to say no to this, but it at least gives me some, some quick, easy ways to say it in a kind way. Um, another thing that I have done for a long time is I, you get a lot of things coming at you or somebody's got this idea or that idea. And, and, and I often just say, I need some think time. I need time to think about this. So it lets me not have to give an immediate answer, but lets me take some time to think about the impact this has on everybody in the organization before I quickly say yes, or mm -hmm. um, quickly suggest another way to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, um, I, think, I think that's, I think that's good on so many levels, because to your point, you know, and, and that's always well received, because, you know, people want immediacy, my goodness, in the world we live in, you can have access to anything in a matter of seconds. So I think that that's what our society is used to. So sometimes I think that when you say that people are like, uh, oh, okay. But then that's because they, it's typically the teachers. They don't always understand that your role is to really, like you said, see that global impact, think through what are the possible repercussions for this group or that stakeholder group before I just make a quick decision. I think it's much easier to say, let's pause and let me think about it than to say yes. And then think about it later and think like, Ooh, no, uh, I think, you yeah. know, <laughs> giving yourself that time and quite frankly, you know, the, the decision-making capacity. Cause if you're like me, I, you'll get caught in the hallway walking the, Hey, Jill, do you have just a minute? Um, you know, and even if I take a moment right there in the moment, in the middle of the hallway is never the right place to make a decision. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I have one more. This one yeah. is so helpful for me. I don't schedule things back to back. So if I've got a meeting, I always make sure I got a 15 minute cushion between the next thing going on, just because I may need to process something, reflect on something, write a few things down. Um, so I've gotten into trouble where I've gone back to back with things on my schedule. And I just think for leaders, for anybody, always give yourself cushions throughout your day and your schedule. And Vicki, that, that, that is time. that. Oh my gosh, that would be a number one. I'm going to tell you uh, mm -hmm. because that's something I'm learning myself. You know, on on paper. You know, it looks like uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of scheduling all your time or otherwise something will come in and play. If you don't schedule right. it, something will schedule it for you. Um, right. But the one thing I'm not good at is that cushion time. And so for me, one, the one that allows if the meeting goes a little bit over, that's OK, too. But more importantly, what you just said, time for me to process and close out one meeting in my head, at least put a pin in it before I go mm -hmm. into the next one, because what I found is there are days where I've gone into four different meetings back to back to back and by the fourth meeting it's like 
what are we even talking about? You know, it's like, it's, I have all the ideas from my previous three meetings just floating around in my head. And, and I probably am not giving my best to that last and final meeting. So that is an exceptional suggestion. <laughs> so thank yeah. you for that. It's about my most important one too. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. So Vicki, clearly you've worked with educators across the country. You know, I know that you are connected with your book through with Dave Burgess and his whole, his whole group, crew. Uh, so clearly you're connected with a lot of people. And so for me asking you to narrow it down to three people or resources uh, that, that you want to suggest for others, but we do know that we are our own best resources, right? And so when Absolutely. you think about the people or the, or the resources that you are connected with and you think, okay, if people don't know about this or aren't connected with this person, Person they need to be. Who would you say are some of your, your top people or resources? Yes, thank you for asking this question. So um, in thinking about that crisis I went through, there is a book that um, I read, well, I read for fun early on being a leader. It's called The School Leaders Escaping the School Leaders Dunkage. And it's by Rick Cheddar and Rebecca Coda. Uh -huh. um, there's a hashtag on it. It's hashtag SL dunking and so I had read the book before being in a dunk tank and um, knew about it and then when that crisis happened I used it as a bible literally I took it back out and highlighted it that's where that's where gather your allies came from like I, I need people I need people to surround me right now um, I need people to speak positively about me right now. Um, so it, I really literally used it as a Bible in and that. You said, and you said the time. I'm sorry, Vicki, you said the title of that is Escaping the School Leaders Dunk Tank. Is that the name of it? That's the name of it. Yeah. Okay. I got you. And okay. it's a collection of stories of leaders that have been in really awful situations, have been in the dunk tank, so okay. to speak. And then and then after you hear these stories, now these are the ways that you can prevent yourself from oh. getting in that dunk tank. Um, one strategy is um, proactive paranoia. Um, <laughs> so how to prevent yourself from landing in the dunk tank. And when you find yourself there, what do you, what can you do to okay. escape that dunk tank? So, and it's gotten me, there's, so I read it once for fun. I let, I read it twice after for, afterwards for two dunk tank situations. And it's, should read and be prepared for. Um, I've got a couple, I wanna share a couple favorite Twitter chats because I enjoy Twitter chats, but I yeah. do have two favorites. Um, one is Mensfa chat, M-E-M-S-P-A. It's the Michigan Elementary Medical, I'm sorry, middle, let me say that again. Michigan Elementary <laughs> and Middle School Principals Association chat, M-E-M-S-P-A. And so talk to us a little bit, Vicki. One, do I have to be a teacher or a principal in Michigan to join this chat would be the first question. And then two, for someone who's saying Twitter chat, what are you even talking about? Talk about those two things. Twitter chat is, um, it is open to everybody and you follow a hashtag. This one starts, this is on Thursdays at 8 p.m., 8 to 8.30. And a moderator throws out a question, like question number one, and yep. it's about something in leadership. And then everybody who's following that hashtag 
mm -hmm. um, put, puts in their answers to that. So now you're getting a collection Ooh, of okay. people in education that are sharing their answers to that. And then you might reply, you might retweet, they just said, you might ask them another question about it. So then you know, about every eight minutes, another question will come out there. And then everybody in that chat will start giving their answers. So it's just a great way to, I think it's incredible professional learning. So for a half hour, I hear from all of these leaders and educators. So that one's my, my favorite in Michigan, but it is, we get a lot of people throughout the country in that one. Um, and then the other one is, is the lead lap, hashtag lead lap, lead like a pirate. Mm -hmm. um, and that is um, Saturdays at 1030 to about 11, 1110, mm -hmm. about a 40 minute chat. And it's, again, that's leaders from all across the country or, and it's leading from where you stand. There's a lot of teachers on it too. And, um, and it's just the question answer format. And that's, um, that's, that's such a great, that thank you for, for suggesting those because we don't always have time to read a whole book or let's, you know, I'm, I'm a podcast listener, obviously, um, you know, cause I can do that to and from work in the car or like when I'm walking or whatever, yes. but you know, sometimes we want to jump in, but we don't have a lot of time. So these Twitter chats are such a great way for people to, and it's not like, um, if you're joining a group that you have to be there every Thursday, you know, it's kind of like join when exactly. you can. Um, and then the other cool thing is being able to go back, even if you weren't able to join live, going back and seeing what, what the question was and still gaining that insight from, from the people who are involved with that. So thank you. Thank you for those. I have one person I want to recommend as a follow too. Yes. yes. She is a co-author of the minimalist teacher and it really, you know, really helps you whether you're a teacher or a leader just how do I focus on the most important things how do I minimize all that extra chatter around so her name is Tammy Muzikowski Boardman her her handle is at T M as in music U as umbrella S as in Sam underscore ED I'm going to definitely check her out if I'm not already connected. I'm telling you, it's like I get a, it's like I get a behind the scenes look at everything. So, so by the time the episode airs, I'm like, yes, I'm already fully vested in everything that I've learned from the episode. So, so thank you for sharing those. All right, Vicki, final question. What are three words that other people who know you would use to describe you? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, they would... They would say committed. Um, they would say they would say knowledgeable because I read a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and gracious. Uh, I don't know. Hurtful. Hurt. Hurt. Yeah, kind of like appreciative and, and have a lot of yes. gratitude for everything. Yeah, yes. for sure. You can yes. you can just hear you can hear that in just this conversation today. So definitely, uh, thank you for that. All right, so Vicky, you shared so many amazing things. If people want to follow up with you, whether it's about your book or want to reach out to you about consulting um, or all the things. Um, Um, so on Twitter, I am at Vicki L. Wilson 5. 
and Vicki is spelled V-I-C-K-I. I have a website and you can contact me through the website as well. It's VickiWilson.org. Um, yeah, those will be the best two ways to reach me. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, wishing you a wonderful school year. Um, and then I look forward to staying connected with you. I do too, Jill. It was such a pleasure to talk with you today. Same, same. All right. Have a great school year, Vicki. You too. Thank Bye -bye. you. If you enjoyed this episode, Leading with Instructional Rounds, then please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Now friends, if this is your first episode or you've not listened to any of the other amazing guests during season seven, I encourage you to check that out. I also invite you to check out seasons one through six and let me know what you think. Please leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts because they really do help me out when it comes to the ranking of the show and I make it a point to read every single one of the reviews that I get. Also friends, if we are not connected on social media, let's change that status by getting connected on Twitter and LinkedIn. All right, and if you're not a member of the show, then I encourage you right now to stop what you're doing and subscribe. Go up in the right-hand corner wherever you're listening to hit subscribe or follow. All right, friends, I hope that you have an amazing week. And as you go about that week, leading your building or leading your district, I encourage you to ask yourself, am I the leader I deserve and what am I doing about it?